I often joke that I have learned everything that I need to know about pastoral counseling from Bob Newhart. If you know who Bob Newhart is, you're older than I am. And if you don't know who Bob Newhart is, you are younger than I am. I'm like the litmus test for this. For the youngins here who don't know who Bob Newhart is, he's Papa Elf in the movie Elf. You got it? Got him in your mind now? I've learned all that I need to know from pastoral counseling from Bob Newhart. You don't believe me? Well, let me tell you how I know this. Back in the early 2000s, there was a Mad TV skit with Bob Newhart in it. And he stars in this as a psychiatrist. And a lady by the name of Mo Collins um, stars in this as the, you already know this one? Oh, lucky you. <laughs> Mo Collins stars in this as the client who comes in for help. Okay? So she comes in, she sits down, they get acquainted with one another, and then Bob Newhart, in his typical dry style, lets her know a couple ground rules. He says, I only charge $1 per minute. And I've never had a counseling session last longer than five minutes. I mean, that's my goal, guys. That's why I said I learned everything. So she thinks this is too good to be true. He quickly reminds her that he doesn't make change. So that's one of his ground rules. And so she opens up to him about her problem. And her problem is this. She is terrified that one day she is going to be buried alive in a box. That's her fear. You can laugh. That's okay. That's her fear. And this thought consumes her. And she expresses this to him, and he's, he's nodding his head. Okay, okay. And it comes to the point where it's time for him to give counsel. So she's talked for maybe two minutes or so, and uh, he looks at her and he says, I think I have the solution. I have two words for you. Did I tell you this was my goal or what? Okay. Two words to solve her irrational fear, her problem. And so she hears two words. This seems too good to be true. And so she grabs a, a pad of paper and a pen, and she's ready to take this down. And he reassures her. He says, no, no, it's only two words. I don't think you'll have any trouble remembering them. And she says, okay. And she waits with bated breath like this. And he looks at her in the eye and says, stop it. That's it. She's taken aback by this. She's like, what did you say? He said, S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. Stop it. And her face is like this. She has no idea what to do with this type of counsel. And she was like, so it's just as easy as stop. He goes, yep, stop it. So she then says, well, I also struggle with uh, bulimia. Stop it. I struggle with uh, in relationships. Stop it. And I struggle. I can't keep in relationships with men. Stop it. That's his advice for her. And by the end of this skit, she says, I don't like this. All you keep telling me to do is just to stop it. And he goes, oh, well, I, I have some other words of advice if you'd like to hear those. And she says, okay. He goes, it's just a few, few words longer. And then he looks at her and says, stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box. <laughs> and that's the end of the skit. Fortunately for all of you, when it comes to our fear and our worry and our anxiety, Jesus is much gentler and much more helpful than Bob Newhart is, okay? Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. When you're there, please stand with me. 
We're going to read this portion of scripture together. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. We are continuing in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you look at the previous passage, it's entitled, Laying Up Treasure in Heaven. That's what we heard about last week. We don't want to be a people, a kingdom people, who hoard things here on earth and make our life about things here on earth. But we want our truest treasure to be God in heaven. Right? And so we come to this passage now, verse 25. And here are Jesus' words to you that are far more helpful than stop it. Okay, you ready? Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet, I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Go ahead and be seated, please. The title of today's sermon is God's Got You. God's Got You. It's as simple as that. And today's big idea is this, if God is your heavenly father, and I say if for a reason, if God is your heavenly father, trust him and stop worrying. That's the big idea. We're going to unpack that this morning. You guys have heard what worry is like before, haven't you? Worry is like uh, sitting in a rocking chair, cruising in a rocking chair, back and forth, back and forth. And what that's like is, it, you know, it gives you something to do, but it doesn't actually do anything, right? It doesn't actually accomplish anything. Back and forth, back and forth. Today we're going to look at four lessons that Jesus gives us from this passage on how to deal with our anxiety, how he can help us with our anxious thoughts and our worries. And they're very simple. They are depicted in the pictures here. Uh, look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Look at the problem, which happens to be our lack of faith, our small faith. And lastly, we're going to look to the solution to our anxiety, which is the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. That's where we're going this morning. Let's pray together as we begin. Lord, you are good. Your mercy endures forever. You are faithful. And I ask right now that you would bless uh, the preaching of your word. 
pray that your spirit would teach us, that he would transform us, give us peace, give us correction, and make us a more trusting people who believe you are who you are. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, friends. Lesson number one is simple. Look at the birds. That's our first lesson that Jesus gives us on how to deal with our anxiety. Look at the birds. One of the most amazing things to me about Jesus is that he teaches such profound and helpful things with the simplest of illustrations. And, as a side note, one of the best things about being a pastor preaching one of these passages is Jesus already gave the illustrations, so I don't have to come up with new ones, all right? It's just a little perk about it. But he says, look at the birds. Why aren't we to worry about food and about drink, about how God will provide for our needs in the future? Simple. Look at the birds. Go bird watching for an afternoon. Observe how abundantly God provides for birds. And then you'll know why God tells us to stop worrying. If any of you like biology, I'm going to give a few uh, biology facts now. You ready for that? All right. After a heavy rain, and yes, I wrote this before this weekend happened, okay? After a heavy rain, you likely notice hundreds of what up on the sidewalk in the asphalt? Worms slithering everywhere, right? That's just what they do. They come up when it rains and they're everywhere. So here's some biology facts. Researchers estimate that in one acre of good soil, this is not incredible soil, this is not the desert, just one acre of good soil, that there is likely between 250,000 and 1 million earthworms. All right, if that's not gross enough, times even just a fraction of that number by the some 37 billions of acres of land on planet Earth, and you start to get the idea. If you think about this for too long, it starts to make you go crazy. So don't think about like some impending worm invasion or anything. We're okay. We're stronger than they are, everybody. Deep breath. You'll be all right. But the point is this, worms or berries or nuts or seeds, those things are so abundant in this world that God provides for birds each and every day. They are richly provided for. And so Jesus says, look at the birds. Here's a few things that birds don't do. Birds don't sow, reap, or gather. In other words, you've probably never seen a bird get down on the ground, plant a seed in there, take its little wings. Those are wings, you saw that. Take its little wings and make a little mound of dirt around it. Go find a watering can and water it. You certainly don't see birds uh, researching the newest composting methods or the ways to have the richest, most organic soil. They don't do that. Birds don't sow, reap, or gather. They also don't collect all of this food into a basket. They didn't create the combine. I don't know if you know that. They, They don't harvest food like we have to. We do these things. They don't. Okay? They don't reap and then they don't gather. They don't collect it all into barns and store it for a wintry day. You know what birds do that don't like this climate on a wintry day? They fly to where more food is. It's that simple because it's that plentiful in the world. God provides for the birds. One of my favorite pastors to listen to his sermons is H.B. Uh, Charles, if you've ever heard of his name. And he put it this way. He said, okay, maybe we need to make it a little more common. He said, here's what birds are like. He says, birds don't have stable jobs. They don't have social security. They don't have insurance policies, and you better bet they don't have 401k plans. 
And then he adds to that, also, birds do not have high blood pressure, panic attacks, and nervous breakdowns. Okay? Connect the dots. That's what Jesus wants us to do this morning. In other words, birds simply act like birds. And what I mean by that is that they trust God for their food today. In each and every day of their lives, that's what they focus on. They're not thinking about the future. They're not thinking about next year, their retirement plan. They're trusting God to meet their needs today. And you know what? He does. They are given their daily bread. If you go back, a chapter, back into chapter 6, verse 11 in the Lord's Prayer, that's exactly what Jesus tells us to pray for, isn't it? Give us this day our daily bread. The birds trust God to give them what they need. And so, we can pray the same thing. I want you to look at verse 26 with me. It continues, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Question, who feeds them? You can talk out loud, that's okay. Who's heavenly Father? Our heavenly Father. Just imagine, Jesus is teaching a crowd of people up on on a mountainside, on a hillside. And he's telling them to look at the birds so that they are not worried. And then he says to them, see how much your heavenly father feeds them. This is incredibly significant. The phrase your heavenly father or our father has already shown up 13 times in Matthew's gospel. It's almost like he wants us to think about God as our father. And because he's done that, now we see it here about how God cares for the birds. And he, again, calls God our father. I think the point here is if God takes care of his general creation with such abundance, how much more is he going to take care of his own kids? Right? We have almost, you can think of it like a, like a stage. You have inanimate objects like a rock or a, a dead piece of wood, right? That's part of creation. And then you have living plants and, and organisms. You have, I mean, none of us really get sad when a dandelion dies, right? That doesn't get us all worked up inside. We might get a little sad if our house plants die, but we don't grieve too much over that. But you move to talk about our pets, and some people lose their mind when their pet dies. And that's, that's okay, because that's a little more significant to us. Right? I'm not talking about cats, by the way. I'm talking about dogs. <laughs> Just to make that clear, in case you were wondering. But we get upset when pets die. But how much more are what? Human beings. How much more valuable are human beings than inanimate objects, than small plants or small birds? But let's take this one step farther. Human beings are made in the image of likeness of God, and that is an unbelievable thing that none of us can wrap our minds around. But how greater still is it to be God's own sons and daughters? That's what's meant by your heavenly Father. You have a heavenly Father who's looking out for you. So look at the birds and connect the dots. How do you think God's going to care for his own kids? Now, you might be wondering, is, isn't God everyone's heavenly Father? So why the distinction there? And I think in one sense you could make that argument because God is the creator of all. You could say he's the father of all. But the unique position of the sons and daughters of God is that we have been united with the Son of God. And that position is the most privileged one in the world. We get to call him Abba, Father. Only those who believe in his name get that privilege. 
And so I want to ask you, if God so cares for the birds of the air, will he not care for us, brothers and sisters? This is the argument from the lesser to the greater, but actually the scriptures give us another argument in Romans 8, from the greater down to the lesser. And Romans 8 says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, the giving of Jesus, graciously give us all things? The point of the first analogy is if God cares for birds, you better believe he's going to care for his kids. The point of Romans 8 is if God has given you his own son, the greatest joy and delight and treasure in all the universe, you better believe he'll give you what you need. Do you see the connection there? God is not stingy. He is giving us everything that we need. And if God has given us Jesus to redeem you know, the most lovely and beautiful and radiant person in the entire universe, to redeem failures like us from the sinful mess that we've gotten ourselves into, and then he wants to draw us to his side and bring us into his family, there's nothing better than that, friends. One of the things that I've learned in my life as a Christian is that God is always better than I think he is. Perhaps you've been there too. Like when I think I've got my mind wrapped around the goodness of God, he humbles me and floors me with yet another level of how good he is, how he provides, how he takes care of. Part of God in his infinity means that even the greatest concept of goodness I could ever come up with doesn't scratch the surface of exhausting his goodness. And that's a mind-blowing fact to me. But God is always better than I think he is, and God is always better than you think he is too. Look at the birds. He will take care of you. Your heavenly Father will take care of you. So I want to ask for a moment, where do you doubt this today? Like specifically, when things are just in kind of out there categories, it doesn't do much to help us. But what are you worried about today? Think about this in your mind. What's been causing you fear or anxiety or trouble in your hearts? What's maybe been keeping you up at night? Maybe there's the news of a loved one getting sick or something like that that's just been burdening you lately. I want you to think of that right now and then hold on to it because we're going to come back to it. We've looked at birds and now we are going to move on to the next point and look at flowers. I told you, Jesus uses simple things, doesn't he? To teach us lessons. All right, I got this app on my phone um, that Emily Reisler told me about. It's called Picture This. Is that what it is? That Christ okay, so Christina, who told you? No, we won't go there. But this app is pretty incredible. It, you open it up and you take a picture of any plant or leaf or grass and it will diagnose what species it is. It's incredible. It gives you the scientific name. It gives you the right climate that it grows in. It gives you, you know, what its fruit looks like. All of these crazy things. And so I've been walking around this spring, you know, taking pictures of everything. This is what I do. In case you guys are curious, what I do all day you know, I, do, I do this just to learn about it. It's been really fascinating. Um, and it's, what's unique about it is it even uh, distinguishes between like the real lilies of the valley and the false lilies of the valley. It knows. I don't know how it knows, Char, but it knows. Okay? 
And it's been a lot of fun for me to watch plants grow this spring. Um, one of the ways you can tell I'm getting older, well, maybe two ways, is the increasing wisdom that exudes from my beard now in the form of gray hair, but also my newfound love for observing birds and plants. A amen. There you go. Someone, someone's feeling this one deeply right here. Jesus teaches us now in verses 28 and 29 that one way we cannot be anxious about how, we'll, how we will be provided for is by considering the lilies of the field. Read with me, verse 28 and 29. Jesus says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. The flowers do nothing to be as beautiful as they are. I saw Heather Austin posted some lilies that went into bloom. The lily didn't do that. You know, it's not the flower's decision to make itself that beautiful. It just exists, and God adorns it in such beautiful array. The lilies of the field that Jesus is mentioning here are very likely just common field flowers. You imagine him teaching, and for one illustration, he looks up and sees the birds. The next illustration, consider, consider these flowers, okay? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. The point is they don't toil or spin, in other words, they don't work to make their own clothing. They don't provide it for themselves. They don't think about name brands and how to be trendy and cool. They don't care. They're flowers. <laughs> and Jesus says we need to spend more time considering the lilies. Look at the flowers. This common and often unnoticed flower is in such beautiful array. He compares it to Solomon, right? He says, Jesus uh, says, not even Solomon in all his glory could compare with the simple, beautiful, unnoticed flower. If you remember, King Solomon was the son of David, the king of Israel, and underneath Solomon's reign, there was gold and jewels and timber and all of this imported from all around the area. And it was the most prosperous and luxurious time of Israel's life. And he's saying, not even Solomon the king and all of his radiant beauty, not even he could compare with the tiniest of these little flowers. Simple illustration. But he says, so if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, <laughs> will he not much more clothe you? See, the thing about flowers and grass and lilies is that they're temporal, which means they only exist for a short amount of time. And what happens, when, what happens when you cut a flower? It immediately starts to what? It starts to die. Even if you put it in a vase in your house, it is immediately, it is on its process of dying and not being as beautiful as it was when you cut it. They often, when they wither and die, get thrown into the oven and are used as fuel to make other things. That's how insignificant they are. But then Jesus makes this point to us subtly. He says, but you followers of Jesus, you are destined for eternal life. These flowers are going to pass away. The grass, of the, field, the grass withers, the flower dies away. You get the point. It's not going to last. But you and I, people who are made in the image of God, we're eternal beings. Now where that eternity is, is in question for, for humanity. You either believe in Jesus and are drawn to, to his side in the presence of the Father and inherit heaven, or you're an enemy of God. But the point of the matter is, is that we are destined for eternal life. We are creatures who will live on into eternity. And so I ask you again today, what are you worried about? 
What is that thing that you locked your mind on earlier? What causes this anxiety in your heart? The end of verse 30 says simply, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And now we come to understand what our primary problem is. Why do we so quickly give in to worry? Why do we so quickly fear the future? Why are we consumed with anxious thoughts? A lot of answers to that question. But the answer Jesus gives us today is, we have a faith problem. You've heard it, oh ye of little faith. We use that so often, but the point is true of all of us. Now, at this point, I want to pause before I continue with this point and and bring this out. Everyone in this room, everyone on earth struggles with some form of anxiety or worry. It's not just a certain group of people. Everybody struggles with worry at different times. And we're human, which the fine print of the fall tells us that we're going to have things like this, not just physical ailments, but our faith is going to be weak, where everything is messed up, okay, because of sin. But some people really do struggle uniquely with clinical anxiety and even have biological dispositions that, that make them this way and they can't do anything about it. Some people have chemical imbalances in their brain that makes for them anxiety this minute-by-minute struggle that they haven't been able to escape their whole life. For some people, it's triggered by crowds, other people by airplanes, other people by heights, and this illogical fear and trembling takes over them. So that's a real thing. That's the first thing I want to say. But Jesus isn't talking about that specifically. I think what he is talking about most here when he says our faith is too small is that we don't trust the heart of God enough. That's why most of us worry day in and day out. It's because we don't really believe God is as good as he says he is. And so I want to communicate carefully here because this faith problem is something that we all experience. If you remember different stories in the scriptures, we're told that it only takes the faith of a mustard seed to please the Lord, right? We are told um, of, the, of the lady who gives of her small coin, which is all she had, and even that small act of faith was a true saving faith. We, we remember the father whose son was being tormented and he goes to Jesus and he says, I believe you can do this. And right after that, he says, help my unbelief. Right? There's real belief there, but it's small. It has unbelief. It still has weak faith to it. Hebrews tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please him. God requires even the smallest of faith from us. And that anyone who would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. All throughout the scriptures, I want to make this clear, God encourages simple faith. That is saving faith. God delights in it. And so, what is the problem? I think it can be said this way. We often have enough faith, we have true faith enough to be saved and to know that we're going to spend eternity with God. But when it comes to believing his promises day in and day out with our everyday life, that's where we often see our faith is still like a little sprout. It hasn't hardly taken off the ground. It's like we have enough faith to enjoy eternity, but not near enough to enjoy life today. And I think that's the problem with little faith. Jesus says our faith is too small. It's present, it's there, but it's little It's confined. 
It believes in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, but then it doubts these other promises of God for our daily living. And so, as you and I all know, what happens then is this cycle, downward cycle. We don't trust God as we should, and so instead of clinging to him, what do we cling to? Anything else? Most notably, ourselves, right? We cling to our own selves, and we start to think of this ever-inflating sense of self-importance, like, I'm in charge. That's right. God's not looking out for me, so I've got to make sure I take care of all of this. And then you become this super-focused busybody that's always concerned about your own needs and completely forgetting that you have God as a father. This is what happens to all of us. We get this illusion of control, don't we? We think that life is good when we're in control. But if we're honest, even the things we're in control of, we mess up. But we don't ever want to say that. Because we think life is just better if I'm in control of it. But it's simply not true. That's why Jesus tells us to look at birds and flowers. We are not in control of our own life. We often think that our provision then depends on us. And we start to doubt God's presence with us. And even his goodness for us. We start to wonder questions like this and maybe you resonate with some of these. You start to wonder, is he even here? Does he even care? Do you think, does he see me? Is he with me? Does he even know what's going on? But in this passage, Jesus gently reminds us of something. It's the lost who think that way, not the found. It is the Gentiles, those who do not know the Lord, that run about with all of these cares and concerns. And why do they run around with all of those cares and those worries? It's because they don't have a heavenly father like the one we have. That's why they're concerned. That's why the world pursues money and riches and sex and all of this stuff. It's because they think that's what's going to make them happy. That's what gives me control over my life because I don't have anyone else looking out for me. That's the mentality of the Gentiles, of people who don't know the Lord. The mentality of the sons and daughters of God, however, God's got me. (laughs) What do I have to worry? God's got me. He takes care of birds. He he clothes flowers better than I'm ever going to look on my best day, okay? He's got me. I don't have to worry about this. That's the mentality of the Christian. And our faith is oftentimes too small. You know, when you see a dad who's overflowing with love and joy with one of his kids, just imagine them wrestling around, tickling, you know, tickle fight, whatever it might be. When you see the amount of joy and delight on the father and the son's face in that moment, that is merely a fraction of the love and delight that our heavenly father has in us. That's just the smallest little, little picture of it. God so cares for us. He is better than we ever think he is. Psalm, the Psalms uh, prove this same point. Psalm 18, 19 says this beautiful truth. It says, God rescued me because, here's the reason, because he delighted in me. Psalm 18, 19. He rescued me because he delighted in me. My prayer all this week long has been that all of our faith would grow and that we would learn to trust the heart of God in this way. And this is what happens when we seek him above all else, which is why we get the final command, 
to seek first his kingdom. What's the answer to all of our small little worries about how God's going to provide for us, how he's going to take care of us, what he's going to do for us in the future? Jesus says, well, you got your priorities wrong. That's why you worry. (laughs) If we seek first, not just the kingdom, if we seek first the kingdom, we'll get the order right. The small things will be seen as small things, and kingdom things will be seen as the kingdom things that they are. We need to make the main thing the main thing, and then everything else gets taken care of. Quick poll. Uh, How many of you are not taken care of today? God takes care of his kids. So instead of us obsessing about food and clothing and bank accounts and all of these things, we're called by Jesus to make the kingdom of God, him and his ways, his will, his likes, his loves, to make all of those things our first priority. Years ago in a a VBS, there was this one song that we sang, and I was like, man, that's really good. And then I realized it was straight out of 1 Peter, and so I'm going to read that to you right now. 1 Peter 5.7 says, Cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. That's why you can put all your burdens down and cast them at his feet. It's because God actually does care about you. He really, truly cares about you. And because of that, we can rest. I asked you a couple times, what is that thing that's been on your mind, that's been consuming your thoughts? Bring it to mind again. Now, there's no way that I can be exhaustive, but I'll hit a few of them. You ready? Are you worried about finances? Good news. God owns everything, and he can take care of your needs. Are you worried about food? Uh, Go look at the birds. Are you worried about clothing? Go take an afternoon to Frederick Meyer Garden, and then you'll see how wonderfully adorned God does silly little flowers. Are you worried about health care or health needs of your family? God's the the great physician, and he He's healed lots of people. I don't know if you know that or not, but ask some people around you of of testimonies of like, yeah, this was present on the test, and they were all concerned, and then the next time, because the church of God prayed for them, the doctors are like, I don't understand how that happens. It's because God answers prayer. Are you worried about your retirement and how God's going to provide for you in the future? You have the promise that God does not forsake his children. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Are you worried about your kids, how they'll turn out if they'll ever come back to the Lord? What's going to happen in their future? Well, good news. God is the father who runs out to meet prodigals. That's what he does. Are you worried about ailing parents? Maybe they're aging and you don't know what to do. Christ is their keeper and he is your sustainer. He'll take care of you. Are you worried about being ineffective in life? Like maybe your window of opportunities passed you by and I'm never really going to amount to anything. Well, there's good news. At the end of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 comes verse 10, which reminds us that we were saved to do these good works that God prepared in advance for us to do, that we should walk in them. And so that means that God still has things for you to do. Take a breath. If you're able to do that, God's still got something for you. And that is a source of peace for us all. Maybe you're concerned about being overlooked. Everyone else keeps getting advancement, but never you. In the words of Hagar, she realized that God is the one who sees her, and God will reward each one of us for our faithfulness. He will. Are you worried about politics? Not one of us has been worried about that in the last few years. 
I don't even know why I bring it up. Are you worried about politics? Well, I have good news for you. Jesus is king and he's not leaving the throne. Amen? Every other tiny puny ruler of our country and every other country throughout the entirety of history one day are going to bow their puny knees before King Jesus. Stop freaking out. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that, but I'm just going for it, okay? Stop it. Bob Newhart, stop it, okay? Jesus is king. And lastly, are you worried about your eternity? Well, good news. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. You can come to him today. And so in conclusion, I want to tell Christians this. God's got you. He shows up time and time again. Those who have God as their father can be the most confident, peaceful, restful, and joyous people in the whole world because we have a heavenly father who cares. He is both willing and able, not either or. And because he cares, we can rest in his care. And so what are you worried about, really? Maybe you need to take this verse as one to meditate on this week, Philippians 4, 6. You've probably heard it before, but I think we repeat ourselves so that it sinks in a little deeper. Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything. About what? You got it. Anything, but in everything. So in all these things that might cause you anxiety, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And then watch him fill your hearts with peace. David said this in Psalm 37, 25. He said, I have never seen the righteous forsaken. He starts off that verse by saying, I once was young, I'm now old. So you remember this is like a parable of a grandfather, you know. And then he says, not once have I seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. God takes care of his children. But I must add one thing. If God is not your father, and by that I mean you have not believed in his son, Jesus, who is the only way to take hold of all of these promises, if you reject his son, if you want to pretend that you are in control of your own life and think that way and live that way, if that's you, you have every reason to worry and be anxious and be fearful. But it doesn't have to stay that way. You can have it all, all of this, with no fear of the future. Turn from your sin, turn toward Christ, and believe upon the name of Jesus that he died and rose again for our sins. That's how we can have peace. That's how we cannot have worry. That's how we get invited into the family of God. It's by faith in Jesus and him alone. I want to tell those who might not know the Lord simply this. God is better than you could ever imagine too. So taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray together.